All right, welcome guys. Uh, welcome to my podcast. Not sure what we're calling this today, but um, <laughs> it's probably going to be called Your First Deal. But um, I have a special guest with me today. Um, he is the founder of Tribal and he is running a family office. We have Ikechi Wabusi. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. appreciate you having me, B. Okay. Um, Mr. Brian Miller, I'm <laughs> called on this podcast. <laughs> I've known my guy for a couple of decades, so I'm excited to be one of the guests on this new podcast. Um, we just completed our first deal, and so excited to get into it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk a deep dive into all that. So, um, I think the first thing I wanted to say is just you know, t- tell me about tell me about a little bit about your background and like you know, kind of, well, also talk about your background and then talk about how we known each other. We can start from there because like yeah. people don't understand the relationship. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so. Born and raised in Houston, uh, both my parents straight from Nigeria, so um, very much so. I have deep Nigerian roots myself. Uh, ended up going to uh, high school here in the Houston area, a private, private school called Episcopal High School, where I ran across Brian and a lot of my closest friends to date. Uh, Brian was a big track star. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing football. At the time. I was playing all kinds of sports, but uh, one of the sports I was really excelling in was football. And so, as some of the few black students at that school, we all developed a really close bond. Um, all of us went to college, played play at different schools. We ran track at a and I played ball at Northwestern. Yep. Uh, had my shot going to the league, kept getting cut. Ended up back in Houston, uh, working at Merrill Lynch, the wealth management, uh, dealing with professional athletes, high net worth individuals. Um, kind of got inspired by the story of Black Wall Street in about 2014. Uh, decided I wanted to build the digital Black Wall Street, so got into technology, um, quit Merrill Lynch, went to business school at UT McCombs, Great. School of Business, um, worked in venture capital for a little bit, ultimately made the jump to start uh, uh, working as a founder, as an entrepreneur, uh, working on a company, Tribal, which I'm now working on. Uh, we can get into that stuff a little bit later, but uh, currently now... Uh, putting together a family office. Uh, we started by investing into multifamily real estate deals. Absolutely. Want to create income investments. Uh, um, and uh, you have been uh, the great man who's been helping me find these amazing deals. Um, and so it's been, it's been quite the learning journey. Uh, our learning curve has, has been accelerated by the great people that we have around us, by the network that we've been able to lean on. People like Chris Senegal, um, people like Alias, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, man, it's been a cool journey. Okay, so you know, and you started off by talking about we closed the deal. So I kind of that's a, one of the essential things I wanted to talk about today. Yeah. So walk me through um, the first deal, or just like our process of working together, kind of finding the deal, assessing the deal, the entire thing, like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, initially, um, I was looking at commercial offices. Um, yeah. My parents run a home health business. Uh, they're paying a high amount of rent. And so they were interested in uh, uh, me using the family office to ultimately go acquire a commercial office that they could then rent out themselves. Um, so the first deal I was looking at was a, a 79,000 square foot commercial office. Um, it needed some renovations. We knew out the gate, but after doing inspections, 
the renovation costs were uh, even more than what we expected. Yeah. Uh, this is like early in the year. So like this is right as rates start hiking up. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, uh, we got to a place where that deal just didn't seem very feasible. Um, if you're trying to do a, a renovation on a commercial office today, you're not going to actually be able to get a loan that covers the renovations as well. Whereas typically when you get that bridge loan, they'll actually loan you the amount to actually do those renovations. That's no longer happening. Um, We weren't going to be what they call owner occupied, AKA we weren't going to occupy 50% of that building. Um, And so we weren't going to qualify for your traditional SBA loan as well. Um, And so there are just a lot of issues with that deal. And so, once that deal fell apart, I think you were starting to talk about the idea of moving back to Houston. Um, you had already purchased a couple houses out in Austin. Uh, essentially, had ran them out uh, to some tenants. Uh, you were telling me about how you were working uh, to become an agent down here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, well, let's collaborate. I think you stayed on top of me about it. Uh, you got your license. You partnered up with a, a yeah. So yeah, I, I just switched brokers, but yeah, I I, I eventually switched brokers, and then we kind of like started looking for deals. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was like, bet like I rock with you. Mm-hmm. Like in the process of like doing that commercial office, I was talking to people like Chris, um, talking to people like Trey. I was just talking to people in our network about like what kind of deals should I be looking for in this market. And what came up recurringly, even through Google and ChatGPT, was like multifamily deals. And multifamily commercial real estate seemed to be where um, people felt like the safe bet was in this market. Um, And so my first directive to you was like, help me find some multifamily apartments. Um, And uh, in doing research again, like, you know, start trying one of of the key things they tell you to look for. They talk about NOI or net operating Operating income. income. Yep. And then they talk about cap rates um, and your cap rate kind of gives you a sense of like how long it's going to take you to go make your money back. Um, and the cap rates that I thought we were going to go look and target were like eight to 10%. You know, that, that was our initial. It's I mean, that used to be the goal before yeah. the rates, before the, the rates were so high. Yeah. yeah. And so we were like, yo, how are we going to find like, uh, mostly family properties are going to a cap rate like between eight to ten percent. Like who can deliver that? Um, and so we started looking at some classy multifamily properties. Um, and and uh, not to cut you off, but like uh, just in case the audience doesn't know, so like what what do you what would you consider like a class C? Um, I mean, I'm I'm as new I'm new to the game, but you know when you think about class A, think about your high rises, your extremely luxurious apartment complexes class b is probably like a step below that yep. probably no like valet service yep um those type of amenities probably aren't there um class c is you know i mean we're in upper class c is what we've been doing yep. in reality class c there's a range right there's these uh more so broken down uh, apartments and like uh, low income neighborhoods. You might have uh, what should we call it? Tenants. Uh, uh, tenants are getting um, government assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you might have those kind of tenants who are getting paid some amount from the government. Yeah, they're getting subsidies. Yeah. Um, versus some of the more high end class C, which is what we've been focusing on for the most part, where it's a nice looking apartment complex. It's just. Uh, not a ton of amenities involved. Mm-hmm. Um, the area kind of is like right there at that middle income. 
Um, so that's how kind of how I've been looking at it. No, I think that was a great explanation. But yeah, I would say, you know, kind of classy is something, you know, more could be like 20, 30 years old. But hey, it's still in shape. Yeah. It doesn't have all the new amenities, yeah. but we still got like the middle income people that still live there you know it might be slightly on the outskirts of the city certain like things like that but yeah that's kind of what class c is yeah um but yeah so okay so i guess we can walk through a little bit about the deal um so the deal uh, it's like before we even get to the deal we should talk about the first couple deals that we that we thought we were gonna (laughs) (laughs) i I also want to talk about the, the current situation yeah, but anyways, we, we we can get into that. But um, yeah, if you want to, yeah, it's been yeah. So t- tell me about your experience before you got to the deal. Um, so with some of these deals that we were looking at, first couple deals we looked at, I think we looked at uh, the downtown ones. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of near near Fifth Ward. Yeah, 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 seven. yeah. Um, one was sixteen units. One was was it sixteen or twelve? <sighs> Man, was I cannot it, remember. It was like a. I, I remember one was one was for a million. It had these all the studio apartments. Yeah, and then one was a larger one. Yeah, one was like same guy owned, same, same guy, guy owned, owned, them both. owned both of them. Yeah, uh, Chris connected us with a lender uh, in town who ended up being extremely helpful throughout the process. Um, he put us on game on like you know look start looking at a price per door mm-hmm. and for the Class C properties that we we're in traditionally you're looking for like eighty thousand dollars per door per door at the most. Like that's like the max you'll pay as a as an investor, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we started looking for things like that. Um, and so we're looking at these two deals owned by the same guy, and we're like, yeah, we'll buy them both. Uh, talk to us about pricing, and he started talking us through pricing. Ultimately, he was trying to sell these at a hundred thousand dollars a door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like this was in a lower income area. Um, and for a Class C property, like that was kind of insane. I'm sure, his, his, his properties are still on the market. They're still on the market today. <laughs> um, so we ended up walking away from that deal, and we started being more intentional about like what was the price per door that we were getting as well, um, and and started moving away from like this cap rate expectation, and started moving more towards like what are we going to get price per door uh, initially. Um, as we kept on going, Brian ended up finding this great apartment complex down in Alvin, uh, 41-unit apartment, uh, and we started looking into that. Uh, initially, I think the price that they were talking to us about was like $70,000 per door, um, and so we started looking more into it. We, we visited the site. We loved it. Uh, really nice apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um Again, it's not going to have all the amenities. There's no pool by any means. Uh, but, you know, everything that you need in terms of uh, the units, a good mix as well. Like, it's hard to get a good mix. I think our, our mix was ultimately, I think there was uh, four three-bedrooms. I think there were eight two-bedrooms. And then the rest were actually one one ones. Yep. Um, and so getting that good mix of... Uh, of units was also really exciting. They had over 90% occupancy. And so we actually got that in, under contract um, at 2.9 million initially, which was somewhere close to 70K for a door. Um, as we started getting into due diligence, um, this is the funny part right here. Then like, the fun <laughs> stuff starts happening, right? <laughs> uh, we see that uh, property taxes have doubled, um, insurance has doubled, 
Um, and with that, that eats up at the NOI, which ultimately eats up at the cap rate. And and, and yeah, so I want to chime in because I think I think people don't understand in the commercial space uh, why these things have happened, right? And I can lean on it if 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 you don't have some of the answers, but. So why do you think the property taxes and the insurance is doubled well, on some of these properties? From from my understanding on the insurance side, uh, you know, for those people who are here in Texas, like everyone kind of remembers that Texas freeze that happened, yeah. I think, in 2021. Um, and so when that Texas freeze happened, uh, insurance companies ha- ended up having to pay out a lot mm-hmm. to a lot of different parties all at the same time. And so... Insurance companies are basically on their get back right now. They're yeah. like, how do we make that money back? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, uh, buyers of these real estate properties are the ones who have to pay it. Um, and so that's why insurance is doubled. And just to set a standard, right? Like insurance year over year, like the expectation is that it'll increase like 8%, yeah. right? 4 to 8% is what you'll hear. So the fact that it's double is not like not a big deal. Like it's a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Property taxes, I'm not certain why property taxes have doubled that. So that was because of a lot of the pandemic stuff. Mm-hmm. So after the pandemic, um, basically the valuations of the properties just skyrocketed. Yeah. And if you remember when we were going to the county, the county tax um, to, to assess the property taxes, yeah. it would say like two years ago, the property was worth two million. And then yeah. two years later, it's worth two point nine. Yeah. Or something ridiculous. So it's like, yeah, it, it, it didn't make it doesn't make sense. And then you're looking at it, and you're you're going to, um, yeah. Well, I, I, on this property, it was a little bit different. It was yeah. way it was way higher than that. But I'm just giving the viewers an example. So like, let's say it was yeah. worth two million two years ago. Now it's worth almost three million according to the tax records. Now a lot of these people that had these properties are trying to sell them because they're like. The cash flow that I was getting is yeah. not as much, so I need to just sell this property. But then the governor, Governor Abbott, came back and he he did the um, he just he moved some legislation that said that like the property taxes can only move up at a max twenty percent per year. Yeah, that's amazing. So which which helps a lot of investors. Yeah, that would have helped us. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened over the summer, so that that helps a lot. So like people can't just like if if I own a house. And then the property taxes double the next year. Like, I already have a set income that I'm supposed to be paying on my mortgage. I don't want it to go up by thousands of dollars, you know? Yeah. And I guess one thing to call out is, like, anytime you're purchasing a property, you're always trying to find the seller's motivation. Absolutely. That's another thing. So, like, as we're checking out this property, we're like, yo, why would the... Why would you want to sell this? Why would they even want to sell this? You know what I mean? So, we were very intrigued to figure out, like, the seller's motivation. And then, like, as we pulled the property tax records, uh, for us, I mean, the sick numbers were, like, the year before, the property was valued at $1.8 million, <laughs> And then this year, it was at $3.85. Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, I don't even know how that's possible. It's possible. But yeah. that's what the issue was. Now, uh, each and every year, uh, especially for multifamily, like, it's not uncommon for the initial property taxes that you get to be high. But ultimately, you have the opportunity to contest that. And when they contested it, they were able to get it down to $3.3 million, But yeah. 1.8 to $3.3 million is still an and, extremely high jump. And, and during, while we had this under contract, right, and we're doing this due diligence, we actually had to file an extension yeah. and wait to see when the property taxes will be um, 
had to finish the contestion. They had to finish the contestion yeah. to see before we could even close the deal. So we were like, we didn't even know like what was going to happen, right? We were kind of yeah. in the loop, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so property taxes, insurance, doubling, like the deal looks a little different. Different now, right? yeah. It's still a great opportunity. The expectation is that property taxes and insurance will come down. Um, and again, understand like it's a buyer's market. And so for us, the, the numerous reasons why uh, people are selling and there's a, a high amount of people looking to sell is because one, property tax and insurance have doubled. Uh, two, uh, rates have increased significantly. And so uh, people aren't going to be able to afford to refinance. That is true. And so as an investor, the people who aren't cash strapped are the ones who have the opportunity to win. And that's just not a lot of people in this market post COVID. Um, so, so you're so you're saying the sellers have no leverage? Nah, <laughs> the sellers have some leverage, but in our experience so far, they don't have any. Every seller's come back to us. Yeah, all roads lead back to Brian. I was, <laughs> every time we have submitted an offer yeah. and a seller has declined it, they have all come back. They've all come back. They've all come back. Literally Legit. every single one. Legit, every single one's come back. I'm just like. We sent them a fair offer. Yeah. Extremely reasonable. We're not lowballing these people. Yeah. They give us some some BS answer. Oh, like y'all can pay us more. We don't want to pay commission. You, you need to pay some earnest money, whatever the case may be. We we wait a few weeks. They come back because they send me an email. Yeah. <laughs> We've heard it all. We've been asked to put down. Hard, and I guess. We'll talk about to that get in a minute. To the deal. Yeah, we'll get back um, to that. Yeah. To make these deals work, you know, uh, we've had to put 30% down. Yeah. Just to make the numbers work. Because 20, 25% down. It doesn't work anymore. Um, when you're trying to go get a traditional loan, uh, you'll typically want what they call, it'll have to debt service. Or, 1.2. Yeah, debt's income ratio has to be 1.2. So for every dollar that comes out, they want to see a dollar twenty is coming, coming in. back. Um, and so in order to make those numbers work at times, you might have to put more cash down up front. Um, so instead of putting down the 20% that you might want to, 25 is what uh, you're probably leaning towards more. But like for us on this deal, it was 30%, which um, isn't the craziest thing in the world. But like that's what we had to do to make this deal, deal work. Yeah. Um, ultimately, as a first time multifamily owner, uh, the next issue that we came across was when you don't have multifamily experience to qualify for a loan, they're going to want to see one of two things. Um They'll either want to see you take a bridge uh, or you will need to uh, bring someone into the deal who has multifamily uh, experience, experience. Yep. Uh, probably give them like a point of equity or something on the deal uh, and then leverage their relationship in order to qualify for the proper loan. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, what we did was we went ahead and got the bridge loan. We're going to be in for six months and then get up out of there. Uh, for those who don't know, bridge loans, private money, uh, typically comes with a high interest rate. Uh, not not exciting to be in that. You want to get out of that as soon as possible. Uh, you want to always make sure like you, you have an out that you negotiate with them ahead of time, which for us was six months. months yep. um, and so that was our process. And so uh, after, so what we came to after we got the property taxes and the insurance back, we were able to go back to the owners. Um, and say, hey, you know, here are the numbers. Um, honestly, like, we need to bring this down. Down, yeah. Uh, so while we offer 2.9 initially, we're under contract at 2.9. Uh, the owners were very reasonable, and we were able to bring it down to 2.6 million, uh, which brought it down to about 67K a door. 
Yeah. So we got a, they got a 41 unit apartment complex south of Houston for 2.6 million. I think that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that is, that is incredible. Like there's houses out here for 2.6 million and, you know, for you to, to get something that's cash flowing like that for 2.6, I think that's an amazing deal. Yeah, for uh, sure. So I will, I will ask um, a few questions and then I want to lead on to like the current situation. We don't have to give out too many specifics about what we're working on, mm-hmm. but why would somebody, you know, we, we talked, you talked a lot about leverage and debt service coverage. Why would, what's the purpose of using leverage, right? Like if you have a specific amount of money, why not pay for the whole thing cash? Right. Yeah. Um, great question. Great question. Um, again, things I was learning along the way. And so, uh, there's something called cash on cash return, right? And ultimately, um, if you take that net operating income, um, and you divide it by the amount of money that you're putting into the deal, it gives you a sense on like cash on cash return. Um, in other industries, this can be kind of similar to like IRR. Yeah. Right. Um, but in real estate, like they call it cash on cash. And ultimately, you know, as a real estate investor, you know, you probably want to get something, you know, I guess setting the standard, the bank, you know, money markets are going to give you like four to five percent. Yeah. Right. So that's what you're going to be able to get at the bank. Uh, you put money in like with, you know, your traditional like wealth management firms, maybe they go like six to eight uh, percent. When you're in real estate, you know, you're kind of looking at 10 percent above. Right. 10 to 20 percent might be uh, the goal. And so when you put all the cash into the deal, say I would have bought. Um, if you, you know, two point six million, say we would have came with all cash. Um, ultimately, like the cash on cash return would have been very low. It would have been I don't even know what the numbers would have been on that two point six. That must be it. it might have been like two percent or something yeah. like that. Whereas. uh only putting down 30%, I think our cash on cash return ended up being above 15%. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, with that, now you're as an investor, you know, again, because we're looking at this deal like an investor, uh, now you're having the opportunity to uh, generate income and generate a return on your investment uh, in a shorter period of time. And so, uh, and again, like as property taxes and insurance go down over the years, like that, that, cash that you're generating for yourself is going to increase and so that was really exciting and i think the biggest thing is that a lot of investors um that have cash um the whole point of using leverage is to spread it out so you can acquire multiple properties right so what what is the family office goal like is there a specific amount of apartments is there a specific amount of doors you're trying to acquire what's the kind of the goal there yeah i think uh, uh the first goal, the first goal I'm focusing on for us is income replacement, uh-huh. right? Um, so uh, I have a brother and a sister as well. Um, and, you know, we all think about freedom, right? Uh, my parents are doing really well. They'll be, they're, they're good to go. Um, what I'm trying to do is figure out how to free our generation, right? Free, uh-huh. free myself, my brother and sister to where we're generating enough income somewhat passively. Obviously, I have to manage things, but somewhat passively that we can pursue whatever it is our aspirations are. are. Absolutely. Um, uh, pursuing a, building a business like I already am. Um, uh, maybe they just want additional leisure. Maybe they want more time with their children. Um, but the first goal for me is income replacement. So I have a number in mind that I'm trying to reach. 
uh, in terms of the income that's generating annually um, so that it can replace uh, the income that each of us are generating outside of this, right? Um, the next the next goal for us is like diversification. Uh, I want to get into uh, more long-term investment opportunities, uh, more so uh, private market deals, private equity type deals. Uh, and for me personally, for the most part in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so investing into more high-risk deals in tech uh, that can generate you know 10 to even 100x returns. Uh, whenever you win, again, anyone out there who's watching, like there is a high level of risk whenever you invest in the technology, yep. your investment can unquestionably go to zero. Uh, but ultimately, um, uh, technology investments have uh, been the highest performing asset class uh, in the world now for the past decade. And so I think that's a great opportunity. And my knowledge and networks in that industry give us a leg up in that. Um, and then I guess, uh, Another thing that I'm, uh, me and my whole family are passionate about, just because we are all athletes, is sports. Mm-hmm. And so if we can start to get into uh, professional sports teams, um, owning... Uh, that would be, that would be yeah, major. Yeah. That would be major. And you need... And we're you, really seeing a lot of opportunities in that landscape. It's just that those check sizes that they're looking for... Are very large. Are <laughs> pretty large. And while we may have that check size... Uh, trying to convince all parties to like do that deal before we have generate for the family offices generating a certain amount of income is a lot more difficult. And so mm-hmm. one step at a time. Okay. Um, that was, that was a lot of information. Um, so I guess, you know, kind of, you know, we, we can kind of wrap it up, but I'll guess I'll, I'll ask uh, what's kind of the next step in the process you close on this you're managing it right now also well i'll say two questions before we end it is how's the management process going of the acquisition and then kind of what does your next deal look like yeah you know all this is a learning curve so we hired a property management group Mm -hmm. um they've been uh managing the property they're dealing with the leases uh vacancies etc um so far it's been going solid you know, small bumps, you know, uh, anytime you take over a property, absolutely. Uh, it was actually being managed by the owners at that time. They were managing the property themselves, uh, transitioning from that, like family management style to like professional management sometimes can rub, um, tenants wrong. Um, we've definitely seen a couple of tenants just jump ship, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate, but you know, this is a long-term process. process yeah. So, uh, Ultimately, you know, we just feel blessed to have the opportunity and um, each and every day um, approaching it as a learner and um, putting in the best processes as we see things and keeping direct communication with our property managers to just keep on improving ultimately to manage the asset. Okay. And uh, you, the last question is just, you know, what, what are you looking for in the, the next deal? Uh, well, one next deal will qualify for traditional, uh, financing, financing this time around, because now we have a multifamily that we can lean on from investment experience. Um, we've also been, uh, improving credit scores just to make sure, uh, that's also just another, just positive to have when you come to the table, higher your credit, the better. And so just wiping out little things that could be impacting your credit score is always helpful as well. And impact, uh, improving your credit's a lot easier then I think that daunting process may look, especially like when you feel like you broke and you ain't got it. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur, so I get it. <laughs> um, 
and I've just been going through that process myself, but also been like pushing everyone's credit scores uh, up, trying to figure out what things we can do to improve. Um, so the next thing for us is just uh, staying steady, you know, trying to find another uh, income investment, uh, not being too thirsty, understanding the markets yep, in our favor. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a record high of uh, mortgages that are coming. Um, that need to be renewed? Or, yeah, yeah. That, that, are, that are coming up over the next six months. Um, so with that being the case, a lot, a lot of sellers are going to be under pressure of um, selling the asset that they have. And these are going to be some pretty Good quality deal. assets. And so staying patient, finding the right deal, understanding that, uh, not to say the seller doesn't have any leverage, but understanding like you just have more leverage in this market if you have cash. Um, and being patient and diligent with each and every asset, making sure you do your due diligence um, is key. We literally had like, we had a seller try to get us to put, I mean, just as an example, we had a seller try to get us to put 75000 hard money down. Explain what that means. Explain so what that traditionally, means. whenever you get into uh, an investment, uh, traditionally, uh, there's something called earnest money as part of closing that initial contract. And earnest money is typically 1%. Yeah, just 1%. Earnest money is typically 1% of the deal. And what it is is, hey, I'm putting in this 1% cash. You guys get to hold it. Or the title company who's totally. demanding the deal is going to hold this money to show I'm serious about this deal. In this process, I'm going to go do due diligence. If I end up determining I want to back out, then that earnest money comes back to me. right? But if I follow through with the deal, then the earnest money goes towards the transaction. Correct. Um, but long and short, it's soft money. It's not like... I can't lose that earnest money. Um, and that's the standard in, in real estate. But we had an investor ask us basically for like 1.5% hard money not, in order to do the deal, which again, like that, ridiculous. that could be because of our skin tone. If I'm just being, <laughs> honest, you know, uh, we some young, young, young black men. And maybe he thought like uh, we weren't capable of doing the deal. You know, we showed, we showed we had the cash in the bank to do the deal, so there was no issues there. Um, we we passed on doing that, and uh, ultimately the owner told us that they were going to go with another offer. And uh, as Brian said, they came back to us this past week. We're <laughs> <laughs> back at the table, so we'll have to have a follow up podcast if uh, if it goes through. This, if we get this deal on the contract, yeah, talk yeah. about how this went down. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Now this is, this was amazing. I appreciate you coming. So, how can the people follow you? Uh, for sure, uh, follow me at Boosie underscore X B U I S I underscore X on all social media platforms. Uh, again, be on the lookout. Uh, Tribal's coming back uh, early next year. We'll be back up and running. And so, uh, Tribal's a multi-side marketplace for investment communities. Ultimately, we want to support investor clubs or syndicates or investment communities that are pooling their capital to invest together. Uh, so that platform will be relaunching in early Q1. Um, you can go to our website, jointribal.com, join, T-R-I-B-L.com. There's no A there. Um, and other than that, you know, follow my guy, Brian. You know, I love what he's doing. Uh, my guy's a... a uh, emerging mogul in the game and so uh, anything he puts his mind to he's always been great at that started with sports and becoming a, a national champion in, in track and field and 
I think similarly, everyone's going to see his journey here in the real estate world take off in that similar manner. And so excited. All right. I appreciate it. So I guess we, we can wrap this up. Um, thank you guys for watching this episode. Um, I will be posting the clips um, on social media. Uh, you can also follow me at uh, Brian K. Miller, too. And I thank you for watching. We'll see you on the next one.